Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we are in the fishbowl at NDC Oslo. Is this the first episode that's coming out? I think from, you're right. Yeah. yeah. First one to publish. Yeah, first one to publish, second one to record. There you go. So we've already recorded one, and that'll be coming out two weeks from now. And we're here with Debbie Levitt today. And, uh, you know, this is NDC, Oslo, yep. all over again. We're here in the Oslo spectrum. It's like being at a rock concert, but it's full of nerds and food. Yeah, and floating uh, uh, stages. stages. So they've cut up the arena yeah. by putting stages in front of them with like sound blankets around right. it. But if you look over the edge of that blanket... And you've got any slightest bit of vertigo, yeah. it'll get to you. Yeah, you yeah. Don't look that way. You shouldn't go over there. Yeah, right? you're something like 50 feet in the yeah, air. Yeah, you're up. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not going to hurt if you go down. You did a talk today on one of those floating yes, stages, Yes, on one of the right? floating stages. And, 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 uh, you know, that doesn't bother me all that much, but it's like, yeah, it's way up there. My it was poly, very stable. My poly talk today was on terra firma. There you it go, ground level. Ground level. Yeah, yeah. there's no yeah. ground level either. Nothing wrong with that. Good enough. Anyway, um, Richard's kind of grumpy because they're out of tea. Yeah, you know, I have only one real need. <laughs> <laughs> Earl Grey, yeah, hot. Just black tea. <laughs> all I'm asking for is black tea. Yeah. Uh, all right, we'll, we'll find some later. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll get started now with uh, Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, man, what do you got? Okay, so this is an article in The Verge, uh-huh. and there's a subreddit, which if you don't know what that is, reddit.com is right. you know where all the a-holes go to battle each other. And, uh, Depends on the topic. It does depend on the topic, but some of them are just, you know, anything goes, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this is a subtopic populated entirely by AI personifications of other subreddits. So these are bots. These are chat bots. Chat bots battling each other. Programmed based on, based on based other subreddits. On other, based on the oh, posts that's in up. other subreddits. Yes. That is messed up. Yeah, it is I can think up. of a few subreddits that would be remarkably vitriolic. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> this is really funny. So we're going to have to bleep some of this. So yeah, it's called r slash subsimulator GPT-2. And you can do stuff like watch a bot uh, that personifies Bitcoin, argue with the machine learning derived spirit of food porn. Nice. Or, di- <laughs> or dip into a thread populated entirely by Am I the Asshole? <laughs> Bots <laughs> asking themselves the same question Who's the Asshole here? <laughs> So, you know, if you find yourself wanting a, a, you know, a change from the usual way that you waste time while you're thinking about your development problems, there you go. Yeah, whole other class of... Uh, of whole uh, other class of entertainment right This there. is what we do with software. Right. So, there you go. Who's talking to us today, Richard? Proud to comment off show 1602, which we did in November of 2018 with one Bill Buxton. Oh, yeah. And we talked about the morality of software, and we dove into sort of rules around AI and, yeah. and uh, those sorts of, uh, of subject areas. And uh, this particular comment uh, comes from Joseph Hillerup, who said, I really liked what Bill was saying about how we should design our tools so the way people use them lazily will create the best results. Falling into the pit of success. Yeah, and just like the, the, the you know, the, the, the easy way is the best way. Right. right. I really wish there were more of an emphasis for the tools used in software development itself 
on on that aspect, mm. especially things like language design. Microsoft has been slowly moving in that direction with C Sharp, but I imagine I, but imagine where C Sharp would be today if this had been the primary ethos from the start. It'd be VBNet. Nice. <laughs> but I was actually thinking that that is the ethos. Like you talk yeah. to Anders. Yeah. He always had the average developer in mind. Absolutely. You know, he was better than just about anyone. Well, let's compare C Sharp to Java. Let's compare C Sharp to C++ mm-hmm. and even C before that. It's a much different... In terms of a low-friction language, language, but still one... And low-friction also being that it helps you with the problems that occur. Right. What else do we want from static typing? But, uh, you know, you said this was going to be a number, but what you're giving me right now doesn't look like a number. That's right. You know, that's the the software really helping you out, so... And it gets out of your way when you want to do something really complex. Yeah. We can go as far as we want to go. So, I I, I don't know. I think C-sharp has always been like that. I agree. Admittedly, the past few versions especially since we've gotten to Roslyn, mm-hmm. have just opened the door for so much more capability like mm-hmm. that. So there has been an acceleration of it. But I don't know. I wouldn't, I'm not going to work, agree with Joshua on the idea that they've just started moving that way. Mm-hmm. They've just been able to move further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Joshua, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code Buy is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code Buy, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show to Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code Buy. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. They're answered by our Am I the Apple bot. Nice. <laughs> Am I or are you? <laughs> that remains to be we seen. We're going to go there? Okay. And it is entirely beside the point. Nice. <laughs> All right. Let's bring on Debbie Levitt, who's been sitting here patiently trying not to laugh. Uh, she is CEO of P-Type UX. Did I say that right? P-Type UX Agency. P-Type UX and Product Design Agency. Uh, she's been a UX strategist, designer, and trainer since the 1990s. As a serial contractor who lived in the Bay Area for most of the decade, Debbie has influenced interfaces at Sony, Wells Fargo, Constant Contact, Macy's.com, Oracle, and a variety of Silicon Valley startups. Clients have given her the nickname Mary Poppins because she flies in, improves everything she can, sings a few songs, and I've heard her sing, she's got a great voice, and flies away to her next adventure. Nice. Debbie is a speaker and trainer who's presented at conferences, including eBay's Developer Conference, PayPal's Developer Conference, UXPA, and We Are Developers, and also NDC. She is an O'Reilly published author and one of the few instructors on the planet recommended by Axure. That's A-X-U-R-E. <laughs> Not Azure. Not Azure. A-Z. Very subtle difference. I know. Uh, her newest training program is DevOps ICU, which teaches non-UX roles how to measurably improve DevOps results by correctly integrating UX practitioners and processes. Outside of UX work and sometimes during UX work, Debbie enjoys singing symphonic, prog, goth, metal, opera, and new wave. She's now That's a, a range. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All at the same time. Well, yeah. I think I've heard that song. <laughs> She's now a digital nomad, splitting her time between the USA and rural Italy. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you guys so much. Glad I to have start, you on. I want to start talking about goth metal. Go ahead. I'm here, for, I'm here for you, And Carl. the hills of rural Italy. How does that go over? The uh, Well, thanks to the uh, home recording studio my boyfriend built, you mm. know, not too many people have to suffer through it. That's really cool. Nice. Yeah. 
Cool for for Italy is wonderful. Italy is lovely. I yeah. do recommend it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you do have to learn the language, which I'm working on. But right, um, but, but the, yeah, they're also excited to teach it to you too. Like that's something I've always appreciated about the Italian culture. It's like if you're willing to put some energy in, they've got all the time in the world to get your pronunciation. And the Italian right. language has plenty of UX, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like it's two languages in one. It the is. hands, the hands, and the, and the voice. Uh, when, when I meet people, the first thing I say to them in Italian is, "I'm learning Italian." Right. And then the next thing they say to me is, "Little by little." And mm. then I say to them in Italian, "Everyone says to me, little by little." And <laughs> right. then they laugh, and the ice has been broken. Right. And I find that the Italians, at least where I'm living, which is rural countryside, right. farmers and and small businesses. And I find that if I make a mistake, they correct me, yeah. but not like a New Yorker would. No, you know, right. like they, they correct. Sorry, New Yorkers. They they correct <laughs> me in a in a helpful, friendly way. Yeah. And I really do appreciate that. And I like that they know that they can. Yeah, and that yeah, you're, you're excited too. Like I actually want to get better at it. I am learning, and yeah. I want your help. Is there enough bandwidth in rural Italy to use Google Translate? <laughs> yes. So check this out. We've got DSL in the home office. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's right, kids. Nice. Be jealous. Um, most days, most days I get sixteen down and one up, Ooh, kilobits. which is, I know what, what unit do you want to measure that in? Which, uh, it, it, which where I can sustain a Zoom video call, so you hmm. can see me on the video call. Okay. Um, they they did d- dig up the streets and they claim we're going to get fiber in the fall, but hmm. we don't know when it's coming or how fast yeah. it'll be. Hmm. But I would say that I'm mostly viable yeah. uh, out in rural Italy. I was visiting Tuscany. My daughter was there, and uh, she was in Alpera. So I went to visit this family in the rural hills of Tuscany, outside Florence. And uh, I had this conversation. I tried to have this conversation (laughs) with the the patriarch of the family, the grandfather of the baby who was there. And uh, the first thing he asked me was if I had a tractor. You know, when you go to a geek party, <laughs> you get stuff like, oh, do you have the Oculus Rift or the right. Oculus Go or sure. the Quest? Which one do you have? Yeah. How, what is the size of your tractor, tractor. sir? Yeah. yeah, that was the first question I got. Yeah, when I, was, when I first started with my private Italian teacher, one of the first, she started with like Italian negative one level, like conversational questions. Mm. And one of the questions was, do you pray? Huh. And I was like, Whoa, I am right now. Um, <laughs> hold on a minute. Yeah. Uh, you know, and of course, demographically, Italy is quite religious. Uh, and, and arguably entirely Catholic for very obvious reasons. Evidently yeah, right. 94% Catholic. And yeah, yeah. I, I would have to say I am a very non-religious person. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I asked for uh, how to say the appropriate response. Right, because you don't want to say anti-religious. You uh, just want to yeah. say... All I can say is, um, when I have expressed to people my my non-religious stance, everyone has been very accepting and welcoming. Yes. So I think that's just another factor of being in the country with more friendly, humble people mm-hmm. than perhaps in some of the stereotypes of the city dwellers. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I've always found them remarkably friendly. Me too. And I ended up doing work in the Vatican. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> Half the time they're talking Latin, and you can't follow that at all. They don't do conversational Latin, do oh, they? Oh, they between the the yes, it goes on quite a bit. It's oh wow, spooky. wow but, indeed. Uh, yeah, they're doing their own thing there. So okay. DevOps needs some UX. 
I, you know, it's not just DevOps. I use DevOps in my title to be a little bit silly, but it to to me, it's all uh, about how do we get software development first understanding UX a little bit better because I feel like it's something that's so greatly misunderstood. Yeah. And then once there can be that better understanding, then everyone will be able to take a look at how UX can better fit into the software development processes, especially mm. agile, mm-hmm. because that's always the black box of mystery. Right. And of course, how we can improve collaboration in both directions, because in most of the jobs I've been in, engineers and UX kind of hated each other. Yeah. And they both had some good reasons. And so I've been kind of analyzing those over time and wrote this. I originally wrote it as a two day uh, private corporate training thing. And then Mm. I was like, I wonder if anyone cares about this. And I made these short versions, what I like to call my minimum viable presentation. (laughs) And I've been... uh, applying to conferences, mostly DevOps, Dev, uh, d- you know, agnostic kind of engineering, sure, yeah. and also agile conferences. So I've been speaking to non-UX audiences mm-hmm. specifically about, hey, here's a bunch of things you just didn't know about UX, mm-hmm. but unfortunately you not knowing them colored a lot of things. Sure. Yeah. It, I mean, there's an argument that you could, that the UX conversation has to be inserted all through the development path. Mm. But I, I got to think you just kind of want them included early. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I tell people in my program is we need to be included early everywhere. So right. uh, on the product portfolio program project, we should be included uh, early there because we shouldn't be surprised by I, I have so plenty of horror stories mm-hmm. from places I've worked and I've walked into a kickoff meeting and I've been told what the project was, having never heard of it before. Mm. And they said, and UX, you've got two days to give us final wireframes. And I was like, do you have any idea what UX normally does? You know, yeah. we, have mm-hmm. a, we have a site. We and have is a, that at the beginning of the project or they're about to ship and it's now we need no, to spray some UX on it? No, this was the kickoff. This was the kickoff meeting wow. and I was being given two days. And when I said, you know, we normally get more time than that because we like to have some research, some design, some testing, some iterations on our testing because our testing is basically our QA. Sure. And uh, the person said to me, if you need more time, I'm going to go tell your manager you're derailing the project. Nice. Wow. So obviously it's really important where UX is at some companies populating the backlog. It's hmm. important to get us started ahead of time so that we can start with some of our own sprints and some of our early work, whether it's sprint or Kanban, whatever you're doing. It doesn't matter what it is. We've got to start early. We need that runway. And then that way, when you guys, you engineer guys want to, and gals, want to kick off, We've got some backlog for you sure. to work on, and then we can be moving with you, sprinting yeah, with you. You don't want to ha- finish the entire design before dev starts. No, that, that would be too waterfall. Sure. Yeah, I'm not for the waterfall thing, um, but we definitely need to be ahead of people because of the research design and testing we want to do. It's really interesting and ironic that you got that kind of pushback like you were wasting time, right? Or Because if you think about it, you, a good UX is all about saving time. That's what I try to explain to people. I just say that um, we are removing a lot of the risk Mm. and that we should be saving engineering time, money, and sanity because if we can do a great UX design early on and get package this up and get it to engineering, then that means we should have been avoiding most or all changes of mind, of surprise rebuilds. A lot of user acceptance is done now. You've got it in a front. We have a front. totally and vetted thing, and there shouldn't be surprises later, and that should say, so whatever you spent on us should be made up or more than made up when engineers don't have to redo code sure. or and how many things. S- when I do my talk, I ask engineers, I say, how many people have been coding something and knew while they were 
building it that it was junk yeah. and it shouldn't be given to the customers. Yeah. And every hand goes up. Sure. And I yeah. say, yeah, I wish that I'm being brought in earlier product portfolio program where I can be more of a collaborator there so not and, only see, and this is agile manifesto principle number yeah. 10 simplicity the art of maximizing the amount of work not done right. let's not do this crappy project and not only are you saving time in development you're also saving all those tech support calls like all of the users time where they're not sitting wondering how to use the product like Good UX is all about saving time, money, everything. Thank all you. Across oh, the you're board. hired. Yes, this is exactly what I'm trying to explain to people. Yeah. But I find that it starts with some information about what UX is. Because one of my first slides is a bunch of negative perceptions of UX. And I mm. ask, which of these do you believe? Mm. And it's a live poll. And the poll just lights up. Everyone believes mm. UX is something anybody can do. UX is just wireframe boxes on a page. Yeah. UX is killing time and budget. Um, yeah. And people vote for all of these. But I always hope that within that hour, 40 minutes, whatever the conference has given me, that I can start to shift mm. that and tell them what's in the black box. Sure. Right. And it's, like I said, it was pain alleviation for everyone else we by hope. setting up some expectations better, understanding what people actually want on stuff. Yeah, and, and don't you imagine, you guys will know this better than I will, uh, but being non-UX chicks, but yeah. don't, don't you imagine that if you're getting a uh, tested and vetted prototype, I love to work in prototypes, that's mm -hmm. why I named my company P-Type, um, if you're getting a tested and vetted prototype from me, you should be able to estimate more accurately. Sure. And yeah. so there's so many other ways that we would be able to help you mm. and hopefully be more efficient. So shouldn't you, shouldn't UX folks then be part of the requirements gathering process? In my dreamy dream world, yeah. we're, we're not taking over all those people's jobs. We love those people and we need them, but yeah. we would love to collaborate with them. But that seems like a more logical starting time because you're starting yeah. to gather requirements. You can, start, you can also start working on the visuals and start talking about workflows early on. Sure. Yeah, and remember, we're about so much more than visuals because I'm a terrible artist. Right. I'm not an artist at all. And one of the other misconceptions I go through is UX is artsy-fartsy. It's visual design. No. And I just remind people, I have a degree in music after dropping pre-med. Yeah. I'm not an artist at all. I'm the worst artist on the planet, nearly, me and toddlers. And yeah. um, and so it's more than just the visuals. I, I say, think of us as the building architects. Right. right. And then think of the visual designers more as the interior decorators. Yeah. We need these people, mm -hmm. different jobs. And of course, you guys are the construction company. So we would love to be part of uh, all of that project planning and certainly the requirements. And I find another place where all of this collides is nobody lets UX estimate their own time. I find that project starts planning and running without us, right. and they just guess at what we need, as you heard from my horror story. Right. Yeah. And then if we're not really correctly integrated into agile teams or other types of software development methodology mm. teams, someone else is guessing my time. Mm -hmm. And it's always a negative surprise when yeah, I right. need more time. I'm somehow the jerk. Right. But right. let's right. face it, I wouldn't be good at estimating your time. You're not going to be great at estimating that. Sure. Time. So besides the visuals, what are the other UX elements that, that need to be developed that are going to help everyone moving forward? So typically UX has a process that we call user-centered design, mm -hmm. which is UCD. So you've probably bumped into that at one point or another. It's the main methodology that the whole planet uses. Right. And it starts with requirements and some auditing. It moves through things like competitive analysis. Uh, we, we, and again, not every project or feature requires this, but right. in a dreamy dream world and something large and new, we might do all the things I'm about to blow through. Mm. So we might have 
uh, competitive analysis, then we have extensive user research. The company's biggest problems is they typically don't assess their problems correctly. Right. And they typically don't assess their customers correctly. They often mm. just run with marketing data. Mm -hmm. So they can say 47% are age 35, to, but what do mm. we really know about these people? How do they use this now? What are their workarounds? Right. Uh, what are their pain points and problems? What are their triumphs? What are their needs, habits, or and just, motivations? Or just, if you were going to start over, yeah. what, what would be the process you would want to go through for, for this? What do you, where do this, you want to start? Where do you want to end up? It's the research is so important and so many people think that they can, that's a budget line they can cut. And then we've got mm. other things. We've got content, which is all your writing and, thing, and copy and content. We go through information architecture, which are your structures, hierarchies, and taxonomies, which sure. are typically not just your databases, but typically your site or app navigation. Mm -hmm. uh, Discoverability so has got to be in yeah, there. Yeah, all of that organization. Right. If you can't yeah. find it in the menus, people are going to, I, I have something I call the four horsemen of bad UX. Yeah. They will arrive. They are frustration, <laughs> confusion, disappointment, and distraction. Nice. And if you can't yeah. find something in the menus, the four horsemen have just arrived. Sure. And but for me as a dev, that you present me with a navigational plan for the app, that's a whole ton of work done. That's right. Right. And, and we even have research and testing that we can do just for information architecture. Mm -hmm. um, we have card sorting and tree testing, and that just helps us perfect and improve that just that navigation mm. element. After that, we're looking at interaction design, which right. is what most people think of when they think UX. That's sure. our wireframes, our prototypes, whatever is acting as the blueprint. Mm -hmm. But from there, we take it to user testing, which is why I love the prototypes, because they're much more realistic. And Axure lets me build, they don't pay me, so this is not a plug, but Axure, um, they don't pay me, isn't that sad? Um, but they, <laughs> <laughs> why not, guys? Come on. Um, I'm a super fan. <laughs> so they, they were prototyping software really aimed at UX practitioners, but it has mm. conditional logic and variables, nice. which means I can create very realistic a, paths, a outcomes, bit of behaviors, error yeah. messages. I can fake validate fields. I can sure. do math. So it's really a neat tool. And when I hand that prototype to developers, even though it's not doesn't have any art because I'm such a terrible artist, the developers normally say, I need almost no other documentation. Right. So if you want to talk about really being lean, yeah. then throw away your documentation. I built you this very realistic prototype where that covers the key user paths. So not only can I give that to stakeholders and people who still hate me and uh, the engineers, <laughs> but I can also There's use it. There's a subreddit it. for that, I think. It's so yeah. sad. They're still out there. But they, they, they say, if you don't have haters, you're, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> okay. uh, so I can also bring that to user testing. We always test with real or archetypal users. We don't go guerrilla testing in our office with our coworkers. Right. We must find people who match the target audience. And so, you know, if the target audience are devs who love GitHub and some other of these tools, it doesn't make sense for me to run this by grandma. Mm -hmm. So um, after user testing, in my world, I like to see the visual design done after that. But that's because I'm not an artist and sure. I have a good time separating the two. Well, and, and also, then we deliver you, you know, you don't want to deliver too much visuals at that testing phase where people say, oh, so you're already done. Right? Like, it's tough. We, uh, it, I like wireframe because it looks like wireframe. It's it like, looks like work in progress. Yes. And we do have problems with stakeholders who think that once they see that... Uh, Anything works at all. Well, they, we're almost finished. That polish. There's, then they go, oh, it's done. Why can't we ship this? There's I, a whole bunch of usability stuff that has to happen after the artists get done as well because just th little things like contrast and size sure. of things... I'll tell you a story. So I was recently at this website ordering some uh, T-shirts and stuff, and I won't tell you what the website was, but it starts with discount and ends with mugs.com. Okay. <laughs> okay, so discountmugs.com, and I was on there, 
And I was having a problem just with the website. I go to place the order in the cart, and it just refreshes, and it doesn't give me any errors or anything like that. It doesn't go through. And so I send off a message to tech support, or the salesperson I was working with, and uh, she basically says, share the cart with me. And I say, okay, share the cart. And I looked, and I swear to God, I looked at that page for five minutes. I did not see any way to share the cart. The and I said, I have no. Yeah. I, I took a screenshot and sent it to her. She come, circles the, the little link up in the top, a, a light blue oh, phrase. Oh, I was going to guess gray on gray. Light <laughs> blue <laughs> phrase on a white background, and it says share cart, and it's in such, it's so small, yeah. it's so buried, there's no way I would ever find it. It's right. nowhere near the cart, like. I couldn't believe it. It hurts. Look, I understand. I say job security for us forever. Yeah. But <laughs> right. It's not like you guys are going to run out of work. <laughs> We're right. not going to run out of work. But <laughs> another, of the, another of the things that I'm out there trying to tell people is a lot of the UX people that are working in UX jobs right now are not great UX practitioners. And just like how many times have you met a full stack developer and you looked at their code and you said, I'm not sure this is a full stack developer. Right, yeah. And you see that, right? That exists? Yeah. There's, well, there's some part they're good at. It's just not exactly. all parts. Exactly. Yeah. And we have the same thing. We have people who do UX, UI. Right. And very often they are highly talented artists who had a passion and an interest in UX right. and went to move into UX. But, and, and not always, but very often when I speak to these people and I say, well, then what's your UX process? Expecting to hear about that big cycle I just told you about. Mm -hmm. They say, I make wireframes. Yeah. Yeah. So they're um, reinforcing the problem in the team. Right so the pr and the problem is because companies don't understand UX. They see a resume or a CV that says UX and they go, mm -hmm. wow, they do UX. And look at this really pretty portfolio. Right. right. Yeah. Bring them on. Mm -hmm. And and so I'm going to be releasing a new book in the fall, and I'm going to be really fighting for um, just improving the quality of what's being done at companies. Sure. Because now people are coming out with books called, like, Designers are Ruining Everything or some <laughs> title. Like, there's really a title like that. And it's written by a UX guy, and I'm not sure he's helping us. But my thought is uh, I'm going to try to formalize this a little bit and, and help companies hire better. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of carnage out there, and, mm -hmm. and some of it is I find that all of it just comes back to to people misunderstanding sure. UX, what we do, and why we're specialized. And that, by the way, we're not all artsy fartsy hipsters. I have right. no tattoos. You're looking at me now, not hipster, right? Not a hipster. Yeah. Yeah. Though I am wearing my hipster Mickey Mouse T-shirt. Have you, you ever go. seen hipster Mickey Mouse? There you go. Oh, look at that! Literally a hipster Mickey Mouse. Literally wow. hip hipster Mickey. Mouse. Everyone, Google hipster. He's Mickey got Mouse. ironic facial hair. Um, he's, he's got his uh, earbuds in his floppy hat, and actually, it, it, an artist made it, and Disney licenses it, so you can buy it. At Disney, wow! Parks. Disney liked it. Disney, That's, yeah, Disney. They normally hate everything. They don't actually hate everything. They're actually licensed. They're actually paying some of these people. So That's pretty That's cool. Funny. I do appreciate from the wireframe perspective. I remember what was the story that it was told that it's like as soon as you put color or polish on any of those things, they criticize that yes. rather than the actual thing you wanted to talk through, which right. was that workflow, that experience. I have found that as well. And, you know, there's always the joke in, in both UX and, and creative circles where it's like, oh, what did they say? Oh, make it bluer. Right. Yeah, you know, bluer. Right. Blue, yeah, uh, you hear things like that yeah, a lot. Yeah, or it was too blue. 
Uh, yeah, my wife wants it bluer. I mean, I'm, right. I'm, I started in the mid '90s, so I remember my wife wants it bluer. <laughs> right. So, my wife um, wants it bluer. so it's, uh, it's like I don't, I kind of don't care what your wife wants unless she's one of our target personas. Sure. So, yeah, there, there, again, this all comes back down to misunderstanding. Sure. And I think if people understood truly how much UX is based in cognitive psychology mm-hmm. and not art, then we can start to not only shift how we hire, but also our processes and our communication and collaboration, because all right. of these are not going very well right now. We do occasionally get some good software out of it. But One can hope, but yeah. can you give me an example? Yeah. What is your favorite software out there? What's yeah, your number no, one app? I'm not. There's a difference between what you have to use all the time and exactly. the things that actually delight you. That's right. Mm, and, yeah. and when you're stuck using it, the four horsemen are still showing up. Mm. And the problem is that what I hear from a lot of those companies is they'll say, we don't really need a UX person. Uh, they'll figure it out. Yeah, right. And I say, Our well, software that's just is intuitive. The, that, and well, that it's not. But that, you know, the they'll figure it out is the giant middle finger. Yeah. Right. Like, we don't actually care. Yeah. And, and, and the second middle finger is when people want to put lots of instructional text and tool tips oh, yeah. and how to's. Oh, sure. And I tell people, now you're saying, we didn't build this to be more intuitive. We think you're kind of stupid. Right. You're not going to figure it out. So we're going to give you But we think you notes. love reading. Yeah. Yeah, we think you love reading. <laughs> sure. So here's a bunch of instructions yeah. that to I make know up you want to follow. That we didn't yeah. know how so to design So all of these the are place. four horsemen just showed yes. up. And we put a handle on a door, but then we have to put push beside it. Which you shouldn't be pushing a handle anyway. But. I actually have a picture in my in the two day version. I actually was in Barcelona mm-hmm. at an event, and there was a, a bathroom door, and it had a, a handle. Yeah, it had a pull handle. handle. It had a pull handle, and it was a push door. Yeah, I see it, it all the time. Yeah, but then they yeah. do put the push note they on didn't. it. They didn't. They <laughs> didn't. It just had a D for women because it was right. Spanish. D for dumb. No, it was D for damas. You know, women. And I so, stick with dumb. No, but, but it was a women's bathroom. Let's be kind to them. I no, did it too. Being, I walked up and pulled I, it. I'm not saying women are dumb. I'm saying no. the designer of that door is dumb. It was it was bad because obviously we, we call these in UX affordances. It's right. something that gives us the cue that there's something that you can do that here. And we all, know, we all yeah. know that the flat plate means push and the handle means pull, pull and you don't do that. And we can, of course, me. relate that to the digital version. Absolutely. Hey, guys, hold that thought for just a second while we take a moment for this very important message. This episode of .NET Rocks is sponsored by Datadog a real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and distributed request traces from your cloud containers and orchestration software. Track the health and performance of your dynamic containers, apps, and services with rich visualizations and machine learning-driven alerts. To start monitoring your container clusters, sign up for a free trial today, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit dd.netrocks.com to get started. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks, Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell. We're talking to Debbie Levitt, talking about uh, dumbness. No. <laughs> no, no, of course. Um, I, so you are you obviously are a singer, and oh, you gosh. do recording. You yes. have your own studio. I and do. So do I. Yay. And, and I've done albums for people, and sitting there in the mix, you get suggestions like, it needs to sound more... Orange, you know what I mean? Like it needs to sound bluer. Yeah, bluer. Yeah. Like it, it needs to, it needs to be a little wetter. Or you know, yeah. I understand wetter that with know. reverb, yeah, right? Okay, that's a phrase right. we know. But we know, but it's not. It's, it needs to be like a little more gelatinous. Yeah, you know, yeah. just things. That's a good one. Yeah, right. Ascribing ascribing adjectives that yeah. don't exist in audio. Well, and you I'm know, like, but excuse again, me, but which one of my knobs is the gelatinous knob? Yeah, it's uh, it's the juicy knob. 
It's <laughs> I think there's a rack mount for that, but um, I, but that's why hypothetically a good album has a proper producer. Yeah. You know, not everybody should self-produce their right. own albums, right. and we have the same parallel in in UX. Right. Not everybody is a designer. Not everybody should be giving the designers. You're notes. sort of a translator in, of sorts. Right? I mean, I always want to listen to everybody's ideas. If you want yeah. to tell me this UX design should be wetter or it should right. be bluer or whatever, <laughs> I'll listen to your ideas. <laughs> more but then I have to it's more gelatinous or slightly amorphous. Shimmer, then, but then I have to compare that against the research we've done mm. and what we know about the target customers. Sure. Right. And if the idea is good, I run with it. You know, UX good UX people should be low ego. Those of you out there working with high ego UX people would those would probably go on my list of not necessarily Problem. real UX yeah. people. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be low ego and we're supposed to be able to take ourselves out of it and say mm. The best idea wins. Whoever had that right. idea, and that that I understand. You know, we've studied the audience, and this, the audience is rather gelatinous. This is something we should put. I'm just you know, trying to figure it right, out. We've we've studied the audience. They're kind of squishy, but uh, so we're going with a squishy design. Yeah, we designed for squishy people it needs by to sound squishy a little people. Squishier. Yeah, yeah, but but seriously, even even though we have silly adjectives for these things, we still have to really study human behavior. So sure. ultimately, UX comes back to that. And if we haven't designed for that, and we tried to skip some of these steps. Uh, hey, there's a plenty of horror stories out there, like a certain mm. company we may or may not want to name, who last year had to announce that their reportedly tens of millions of dollars redesign was a flop. Oh, let's name them. <laughs> you sure? Sure. Yeah. Okay, well, Skype decided they wanted to be more like Snapchat. <sighs> wow. And they released... That's what that was, huh? Yes, that's, that's what, what that happened. was. Do you remember when Skype suddenly became really weird oh, in mid-2017? So oh, exactly. And so what bad. happened was, in 2018, they had to go into their own blog and post and say, okay, we messed it up. Right. We, we released something that was full of features you didn't like, you didn't need, and you didn't want. Yeah. Right. It had wacky visual design. Yeah. It was difficult to navigate. Yeah. Okay. And, it, and it took away a bunch of things that we counted on and needed. And that right, just, and that hey, happened. you caught us. Yeah. And, right. and, when, and I give yeah. that as an example of, I didn't work there. I don't have inside knowledge of this. But as an outside expert, it looks like they skimped on UX. Because if someone had come to me early in project planning and said, we think we want Skype to be more like Snapchat so we can attract the young users, I would say, show me the data. And if they either didn't have data or I was concerned that the data was manipulated, because I've seen that too, I would want to spin up a research project. At that point, this project probably would have gone out the window and tens of millions saved. And for what they paid for Skype, they could afford a research project. Yeah, absolutely. One would think. And even if they said, no, 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 we're freaking in love with this thing. Let's just do it. I would say, hold on. If you're not going to let me research, let me build a prototype. Yeah, let's pilot. Let me build a re- reasonable, realistic prototype put with some of these of the new kids. looks and features. We'll even put visual design on it if sure. it'll make you happy. And Give it a beard. You know, you can argue <laughs> against showing it to existing customers because you're trying to go to a new customer base. It, but it's hard because it was not like ultimately what they release has to go to everybody. Yes. It was not like this was Skype Q45, you right. know, where mm-hmm. where you could get this other flavor of it. Right. You know, the way Google sometimes puts out different versions of things with different people in mind. Mm-hmm. And so if everybody's going to be stuck with this Skype, then you better should. Be 
you should uh, be researching with that existing customer base to really find out what they want. And we should be researching with the younger people, in right. air quotes, to find out what do they want, because sure. it might not be Snapchat. And yeah. by then, they should have learned lessons from Windows 8. As well, well, I'm really thinking there's no case where making a product like another product is a good idea. Yeah. If they wanted Snapchat, they would have used Snapchat. Right. Yes, always very true. And and sometimes people will say to me uh, at places I work, you know, hey, this is what the competitor is doing and we really like that. Just wireframe me that. Mm. Well, thing one, I'm not a short order cook. Right. I'm an interface right. scientist. I just drew, I drew your wireframe that says failure. Does that work for you? <laughs> Let's go there. It's got these middle fingers on it. I don't know how they got there. Um, and it wants to make you a latte. Uh, yeah, uh. It's, uh, it's, it's angry. But uh, yeah, so that's, that's prescribed designs where we just think we've got to copy what they're doing. But I say, look, we can use that as inspiration. We can use that as a starting point, but then we should be doing research. I want to go to younger users and say, what chat or phone call or VoIP systems are you using? Yeah. Which ones do you use? Yeah. What do you how like? And, how and why and when do you use them? What do you like is actually the wrong question. Interesting. It's really weird. Mm. What do you like and do you like this and would you use it are yeah. like the three worst questions to ask. It's really too vague. The better question, no, partially because um, people want to be polite. Yeah. So does my ass look fat? Yeah, huh. they're never going to go for that one. You're never going to, no question. one's going to tell me my ass looks fat. Right. You're going to tell right. me, Deb, your ass is fine. Yeah, right. But we all know it's fat. And so, because I live <laughs> it's in gonna Italy be a lot now. Of, it's going to yeah. be a lot of bleeping in this show. Uh, okay, well, can I say my butt we is are, fat? You can say whatever you want. We, okay, we all I'm gonna get but you're in past the country now. So oh, what are you gosh. Do? I'm, I, uh, no going back now. But my point is, no matter what it is, like when I do my talk, I wear kind of a silly shirt I had custom made. And as an example, sometimes I'll walk up to someone in the audience, I'll say, do you like my shirt? And they'll either say yes, or they'll give me a very nervous Sure. And, <laughs> right. and the reality is that we we don't always tell each other the truth. Yeah, right. And so when you say to people, do you like this? Do you want this? There's an article I saw recently where... It's basically where, saying, please lie to me. Almost. Yeah, yeah, where yeah, a yeah. woman, a woman's company went out of business and part of the reason was when she spoke to her customer, like the headline was like, woman's company goes out of business because she listened to customers. Oh. <laughs> and she, she asked them these biased questions. Sure. Like she said, you know, would you like our products to have deeper customization ability? And everybody must have been like, yeah, yeah sounds great. Yeah, who actually, wouldn't want that? Right. Will you use it? Yeah. Do you like it? Yeah. Probably a Will better, your sister use it? Yeah. Probably a better question might be, name three things you don't like about this. Really, the best question is, oh, long story short, she built all the stuff. Right. Nobody oh, used, used it. it. Cost boom. her fortune. Took yeah. her down. Boom. Um, the best question is usually, how can this be better? Yeah. Right. And you oh, give people this really super open right. landscape to just go for it. How would you make this better? How could this... And I and if they're not and sometimes I'll ask it again later in the interview in another way. How could this be better, faster, cheaper, easier for sure. you? Mm. And they sometimes come up with something else. And then at the end of the interview, I usually like to say, "And if you had all of the magic powers in the world, and they were focused on this product, right. what would you do with that?" Mm. And sometimes they come up with yet another thing. Now some of these <laughs> may be solutions and UX would rather work on what's the problem than what's the solution. Sure. We need to know the problem first and so many companies are not even diagnosing their problems correctly. Mm. So then we can start focusing on what could be possible solutions. Why don't you think that's true? Why why don't companies take more 
interest in the the flaws of they their product. They think they know the, the so the problem is, is it ego thing. It's ac- it, it can be accidental ego, accidental bad data. Um, hmm. it, you never know. Uh, I had a project at a company I won't name where someone said we found that twenty one percent of our mobile web users aren't using filters after searching. So we want to spin up a project to push them into filters. Ah, and so I said I found something a customer doesn't want. Let's make them use. Yeah, it. I found something that's not. Be- and I said, can you show me any data? that slices out those 21% that shows that they're unhappy in any way or they're not spending as much with us or they're not spending as often. Show me that this leads to a problem other than it's just a behavior marker of some sort. I said, and have we considered that they put so many search words into their search that they didn't need a filter? filter, So are we sure this is a problem? Well, they got the budget, they spun up a project, it went live in the app, and then, as I told them and predicted, it was removed the next year as part of a simplification sure. thing. So I think the problem is mm. sometimes you have someone's ego project. Yep. Sometimes you have a, a data manipulation or misunderstanding. Yeah. Sometimes you have marketing or another team who says, well, we ran a survey, and we found out people want this. Oh. Right. And we need to check and balance that a little more and, and be collaborating more. Yeah. Right. Well, you said, not putting yourself in a situation where you're going to get vague data. Yeah. Vague questions resulting in vague data. Yeah, though marketing would never say, we're asking vague questions yes. and we're getting vague data. They're absolutely <laughs> sure that these are fantastic questions with sure. hard data. And then UX sneaks in and that's where we stop getting invited to meetings yeah. because people <laughs> don't well, There want goes that Christmas card. Troublemakers. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the problem. We yeah. get branded as like, don't invite, don't invite Debbie to a meeting. She's going to like shoot a hole in this. Well, if you know I'm going to shoot a hole yeah. in this, maybe we shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Try not to make easy holes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, how about we go for something with real customer value? Nah, that's crazy talk. I know, I'm so wacky. Crazy, crazy (laughs) talk. The... There, you know, one of the one of the classic arguments is the apocryphal Ford statement: "The if I'd asked the customer what they wanted, they would have said faster horses," which apparently he never said. Yeah, apparently, apparently he never did. Yeah. But it, it, it seems to me like it's that kind of platitude. I know better than my customer. It is. There's a. Lo- I hear that a lot when I go into companies. And I go, you know, we really should spin up some research or let's refresh our personas. I think we might have some outdated views of our customers. I right. always get, we know our customers. Uh, I'm, I have a proposal out to a company now who I definitely won't name, and but let's just say, big famous company you would know, and the, I'm dealing with the marketing department because sure. the marketing department makes the website, yeah. and they see the website as the sales and marketing tool, and so it was just the public facing website, so it was run by marketing, but marketing's okay. doing all these weird things with like no UX people involved, so the menus were confusing, the pages were kind of long and rambly, and wouldn't you know when I took a look at it. They had put the credit card form in an iframe, and my browser ad blocker was blocking Took the credit card form. So there was actually, for some people, no way to pay these people. Sure. But wow. marketing was pretty sure that they were doing a good job. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that the customer was doing it wrong. Right. And who even knows? Yeah. And when they gave me the request for proposal, it said, here are our personas. And so in UX, we have personas, which are different than marketing's demographics we look more at psychological things needs frustrations motivations habits and their personas were a list of target audiences it was like enterprise teams press you know and i was like that's not a persona it's just a list of marketing segments and you know but to them this was like the complete marketing sure that's all we need to do so. It's wow. a start. It's a start, but it's something that should everybody. be built out more. Yeah, <laughs> we we don't. You know, we think we sell to everybody, but everybody's got a sweet spot. Yeah, yeah. And we could do that more efficiently. How do, how can you 
uh, and you'd be a perfect person to well, answer this question. I'm honored. How would the mere mortals detect a UX charlatan? Ooh, gosh, near and dear to my heart. How can a mere mortal detect a UX charlatan? Um, there's a couple of ways. Now, obviously, the best is to bring me in and have me look at their portfolio. Well, sure. That's the obvious one. But I mean, uh, the less obvious one is the, the ones that I've uh, told people to try is um, if you ask someone, if you look in the mirror, what do you see? And I find that an artist says, I'm an artist. And I find that a UX person who really has that running through their blood more than anything else will say something more like, I'm a problem solver. Right. That's what I'm I was a thinking. customer advocate. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, sometimes I say, I'm a predictor of possible outcomes. Right. Okay. Um, uh, I'm a UX designer. I design interfaces that are easy to learn and easy to use. Mm. So you'll find that the answer from the UX person will be a little bit more psychology centered, mm. and the answer from the visual designer might be more about art or artistic elements. Again, that doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. It just sure. means UX might not be their natural talent. Right. Um, the other way is, tell me about your UX process. Now, I described it before. It was sure. long and boring. Right. If they just basically say, I make wireframes. Right, yeah. Or I once asked a guy in a job interview, what's your process? Because he was claiming to be the unicorn, the UX designer, the artist, and the front-end developer. All nice. in one. Ah, uh, yeah, we get those. And I said, what's your process? And he goes, you know, I open up Photoshop. And I start designing. That'd be like someone saying, you know, I create a code environment and I type letters. Right, yeah, exactly. You know, so I said, what's your process? He goes, yeah, I open up Photoshop, sometimes Illustrator, and I just start there. And I'm like, no, what, what's your UX process? Right. Yeah, I open up Photoshop. Yeah, wow. as opposed to talking I to a I do research, customer. exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear something that is actually about the user or the customer. Yeah. yeah. So that is, it, you know, some. I mean, me asking it makes sense. You asking it might look a little weird. Mm -hmm. But these are some questions that but if they often, just magically I mean, come up. It does up, sound like it's basic requirements gathering. Like yeah. There's an aspect of UX that starts at requirements gathering and gives us a path to what code we ought to write, where, you know, where systems might need to live. But yeah. In yeah, and sometimes they help us identify new API calls, services, sure. other things we're going to mm. need Whole to create. Whole classes of the app. Like you, it might be, hey, these. when I look at the way people actually do this work, we don't need to give them another UI. We need to plug into this thing they're using. Right. And sometimes we don't need to just make... Some companies go, we'll just reskin it. Nice. You know, we'll just do a UI refresh. Yeah. You know, I meant to say earlier, we, we, we blew by something. I wanted to say very quickly, I do love and they, they've got all different names now, design systems, component libraries. Mm -hmm. These have a lot of uh, style guides. Sure. I believe that there's, you know, we need our visual designers, but if we had a pre-established code, uh, li uh, li not code library, a visual design library, then we know what a drop list looks like, and we right. know how much space goes around it, right. and we know what all of these classes look like. And that should save a lot of time sure. as well. I mean, we still need that visual designer, but we can probably cut down some of their work because in the old days, you gave the page to the visual designer, they designed the whole page, now you have to follow those specs. Right. And we shouldn't have to do that as much if we're using some of these design systems, co component yeah. libraries, everybody's calling them something different. But I'm definitely for them because I think it helps uh, engineers have reusable code blocks and snippets that relate to these common 
uh, switches and controls. Well, a, a common and view and a common navigation strategy and a con common set of instrumentation or, or in interfaces. And so once one page works, they should be able to fairly easily work on multiple pages and be close. What's the uh, a, a one that uh, who I'm, I, I think it was Google Design? Was it Fluent? Or there was one sort of style. Yeah, Fluent came from Google. It was Material. Material. Or no, Material Design came from Google. Yeah. Material Fluent design is Microsoft. Is, yeah, Material it. Design is, is Google. Yeah. And, and as a... I'm, I'm Windows and Android, believe it or not. So yeah. that's how you also know I'm not artsy-fartsy. So <laughs> yeah. I am, I'm Windows and Android. Um, but uh, uh, I do like the Material Design. And then um, one another tool, if we're allowed to mention tools who didn't pay mm -hmm. to be mentioned, sure. uh, is Zeppelin. Z-E-P-L-I-N. Zeppelin cool. is a tool that's really designed to bridge visual design and front-end developers. Hmm. And visual designers can put their designs in there with all of the specifications and even CSS code snippets. Wow. And assets as well. So that should also help with speed and efficiency as well. There are other ways that we can detect charlatans just across the board. And Go Rich for it. Richard's really good at this, at, <laughs> at finding, finding, going into a company and finding people who are full of you-know-what is, you know, when you ask them how would they go about solving a problem, the only thing that they can do is give you all of their authority credentials, right? Mm. You know, the list all of the, the, it's like the authority argument. Like, you should, these are re re reasons why you should listen to me because I've got this degree and I've got this experience and that. Okay, but what would you do here, right? I think the cousin of that in UX right now, and, and this is a little bit new and I think it's going to change, especially if I have my way, you'd probably hear someone say, who, who isn't the true UX Scots, you know, not a true Scotsman, as they say, nice. the not true UX, um, I think you would hear someone say, I'd run a design sprint. You know, these whole oh. design sprint, design thinking, has that made it over to your part of the world? No. It's an interesting idea. As soon as you said it, it's like, yeah, I could see someone saying that. Yeah. It's basically like an internal workshop over multiple days with multiple cross-functional teammates. So like an engineer, a product person, a stakeholder, some SMEs, and we're all going to brainstorm solutions. And it sounds expensive. Course, it's freaking takes, expensive. It takes it off of my shoulders too because well, I'm supposedly the authority. It's, it's it takes it off of my shoulders when it shouldn't. And, you know, right, my thought is, saying, yeah. yeah, my thought is if you have a problem or question with, relating to product or UX at your company, why aren't you just bringing it to UX? Right. Yes, we have good ways to collaborate. Yes, sure. we have good ways to collect ideas and brainstorm with other people. But to go into a room and have everyone sketching solutions yeah. seems a little bit off the, the track when we should spend more time uh, understanding the problem. Right. I do think this is an interesting aspect of, yeah, I could see UX being involved in the requirements gathering phase and, and putting together prototypes and so forth that get us on our path. But when do they step back in as we're building things and we are having conflicts with the way that they, the design is laid out or... You know, or not haven't followed it well because we didn't understand it in the first place. Yeah. yeah, so I tell people that, I tell the UX people that we need to start, as soon as we get those requirements, we need to talk to engineering immediately. Right. And we need to learn what are our technical limitations. Is there something that we might already be starting to dream of that we can't build? And th these are the types of things I heard when I worked at Macy's a lot. Oh, we don't really have that in the architecture. Or, oh, we don't really have a service for that. Right. Well, are you going to do that by the time I design this mm -hmm. or do I have to design around something that doesn't you know, yeah. exist so that. we have to be collaborating really early to understand where there are limitations where I can't 
design something you can't build. Right. Mm. And then I like to show engineering my work in progress roughly every week. Right. And that way, not for your approval, not for your ideas. Just not, some insight as to where you not are. Not because I need you to so greenlight my thing, but just so that we don't get surprised later right. that I disappeared for weeks or months, yeah. designed something, and then threw it over the fence at you in a non-collaborative way. Right. And you were like, holy cats, we can't build this. Where the heck have you been? Right. And so I do believe that we have to be collaborating often, but then I also tell engineers, start inviting UX to all of the meetings. Yeah. Right. We want to be in release planning, sprint planning, retro showcases, especially mm. if a showcase is going to talk about UX. I should be answering questions about my work. Please right. don't answer yeah. questions about my work. But it can, I mean, they, they've worked on the implementation. You've worked on the, the flow, like what this should be. So the, I would hope before I showed that, I checked in with you. It's like, is this what you were thinking? Is yeah. this the intent But here? sometimes it's an outside person who has the question. You know, right. in these showcases, it could be somebody else who has a question about it. But, uh, but yeah, we, it's great for us to continue working together like that. And I tell people, I tell the engineers, if you're using JIRA, Get us into JIRA. Sure. Whatever is your system, we're on the team now. Yeah. We're not an outside SME. We're not an outside consultant. That's part of what's been keeping us apart and mm. keeping us siloed. Imagine mm. us on the team with you. Uh, we're so doing just different things. in that pipeline. We are. We're, we're creating the... If we, look, if we fall apart, you don't have a backlog. So, right. so hypothetically, we should be uh, brought into your system. Don't send me to a Trello board. Don't send <laughs> me an Excel spreadsheet. Get me in your system. If you have a question, a problem, or an ambiguity, maybe... Maybe I missed something, then tag me in a ticket, assign a ticket to me, and mm -hmm. that is great for collaboration. Yeah. So now I get why you called it UX and DevOps because it's had nothing to do with DevOps, but it, DevOps is like, it, it means like the conflict. Overarching, the overarching right? developer operations was how I was looking at it, and yeah. then I called it ICU for the intensive care unit right. because I realized that because of the misunderstandings and conflicts, right. your DevOps might be in the ICU. Um, now, I can't fix everything. I can't fix you your downtime. Right. But there's a lot of other stuff that I believe UX can fix. And I also loved, if you look at definitions of DevOps versus definitions of CICD and Agile and some of these mm -hmm. other things, DevOps says culture and communication are right. important. That's right. Everyone DevOps, involved. Yeah. DevOps says uh, we should be shooting to for higher product quality. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't see that in Agile lately. I'm sorry. Agile just says go faster, go faster, go faster. Right. And yeah. I feel like a lot of Agile has lost the, the attention the to product manifesto, quality. There was a quality there statement. There is. But it's not what most people use, right? Right. And ultimately, we used a, you know, Agile you, like it's a spray bottle. You squirt it on developers sure. to make them go faster. And you hear self-organizing <laughs> teams and you hear all the other ones. And so I so that it's not that my talk is about DevOps, but it's the kinship I felt with DevOps because I said, finally, somebody in engineering who understands how important it is sure. to improve product quality, yeah. to make the customer happy. And then, uh, I do, do we have time for another funny thing? Sure, sure. Okay. So have you guys seen the document that came out in the fall, last fall, fall 2018, for those listening in the future? Um <laughs> It is called How to Detect BS in Agile. Wow. Nice. Now, you like that now. <laughs> How about when I tell you it was put out by the American Department of Defense? <laughs> oh, wow. This is an unbelievable document, not redacted, completely public. And That's obviously, great. the problem is that there are so many companies that are providing contracting right. to our military and our armed forces yeah. and, and these other government agencies yeah. who are claiming to be agile yeah. and they're not 
really agile. Hmm. So they put out this PDF which says, here are some questions you can ask people claiming to do Agile, and these are the answers you should be looking for. And at the end, they have a flowchart. And the flowchart has things like, are we shipping working software to at least one set of real customers every iteration and gathering feedback, Right. which of course leans back on me. I should be gathering real customer feedback, interpreting mm -hmm. it. Then they eventually go on to say in the flowchart, are we looking at that customer feedback and are we changing the requirements because yeah. of is, it? Is right. it affecting our flow? And that's, where, and, and that's where I think too many companies say, well, look, we just started building this, just keep going and just ship it. Yeah. And I would say, no, we already know we're going in the wrong direction. We have real customer feedback. Right. We should go back and change the requirements so that why are we building what people already are reacting negatively to? So it's a right. great document, easily Googleable. You found it. I'll put it in the show how, notes. Yeah, awesome. How to detect be how to agile detect, BS. How to detect from agile the Department of Defense. BS. Cleared for open public. That's Clear great. For, it's beautiful. I hope you enjoy the flowchart at and the end. And what's great about that is, you know, it's coming from the Department of Defense. It's kind of an important agency, <laughs> yes. right? I like doesn't, to, they they kind of build get a it, lot of software. And they, 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 they need spend to get it how right. Much on, so yeah, I, I met a woman at an event last year. She was from the Air Force IT. And she said they had an outside contractor who was doing development for them and also claimed to be doing UX. Mm. And she said, I'm, I'm suspicious of them. I'm not sure about UX. And it sounds like you would know. And I said, sure, what are they doing? She said, well, they, they design something and they code it. So real code, QA'd. Then they find one person and they test it with that person. Mm. Based on what the one person says, they then rebuild the code oh, no. to match what that one person says. Then wow. they find one other person. They see what that guy says or gal, oh. and then they rebuild it. I said, okay, this is absolutely fake, fake UX, fake UX testing. I said, this is a recipe for you to burn a lot of money. Yeah, no, I was just thinking, wow. You can burn a lot of hours that oh. way and, and wrapped in yes. an umbrella of righteousness the whole time. Right. Look at us. We're doing great. Now, of course, any UX person would know we test with normally 5 to 15 people. Right. We remove any outliers or flukes. We look for yep. patterns and we we go in that direction. Sure. But yeah. to test with one person who could be 100% outlier fluke yep. and then rebuild your system for that. And this is the Air Force. Man. Crazy. So that's our tax dollars at work. Yep. Yes, I still pay taxes in Italy, everybody. <laughs> well, Debbie, thank you so much. This is great. Thank you. It's been awesome. But um, just before we go, what's next for you? What are you doing? Uh what are you working on now? Yeah, I'm working on the next book, which, as I said, is going to really redefine UX because I feel like some of those models and definitions have gotten out of control. So look for a new book for me this fall. But for those of you curious about my current book, just sneak over to Amazon and type in DevOps ICU. I've got it on Amazon for about seven bucks. So Great. Uh, it's like 130 pages. It's an easy, fun read with, uh, with Agile BS in there as well. Awesome. Thanks, Debbie. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, 
and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.